Well, thank you for doing this. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. And so do I. Yeah. So do I. You, you'll be the, you are the first mayor that I've ever uh, talked with. Did you get any callbacks from the, uh, who else did you ask? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I got some, you know, I got emails and I got like really heartfelt, like legitimate, not um, uh, prototype type of uh, emails like people actually were you know it looked like that they actually wrote it and it wasn't like this automatic response but I reached out to Tulsi Gabbard that's who it was yeah yeah and I've had uh, some conversation with her but I think that they just want me to do a few more right um probably a lot more yeah <laughs> but we'll see but you know you don't know somebody you don't know what their angle is that they have an agenda and yeah what that looks like so exactly but, but the, I, the stuff i listened to i thought yeah it's right up the alley let's let's talk about it yeah yeah and i was happy they got back with me so there's been like four four emails so far so we'll see where, where that goes but um could you just introduce yourself and give us a little bit of your background? Sure. My name is Nate Duckett. I am the mayor of uh, Farmington, New Mexico, beautiful little 46,000 population city in the Four Corners area of the United States. I was actually born in California, and but grew up in Denver, Colorado, North Glen specifically, and moved here when I was 15 years old out of divorce, and um, best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah. Right here in Farmington. Right here in Farmington. Yeah, 30, 30 years ago this summer, actually. 30 years ago, probably next week is when, uh, when I moved here. Wow, okay. So, yeah, first first week I was here, I met the woman I ended up marrying. Spent The, last, the first week? Yeah, spent the f- last 22 years with, so. Amazing. Kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, graduated Farmington High School in 1996, went to the University of New Mexico, got a degree in criminology. I was working for a company called Hastings Entertainment at the time, which was a books, music, video, kind of a Borders, you know, type store. Spent 12 years with them, ran stores in Yuma, Arizona, San Angelo, Texas. I was a district manager at 26 for them, had 10 stores in West Texas, and then came back here after my daughter was born Mm -hmm. in 2005. And 2010, opened up an insurance agency, started getting involved in local community, volunteering, uh, chamber of commerce, farming to young professionals, just kind of learning about the city that I lived in and, and what, what makes it go. So um, after 2013, I decided to start checking out other opportunities for where I could use my leadership skills, the things that I'd kind of been trained on for all those years with corporate America and um, started coming to city council meetings and thought you know there's i could make a difference there wow that's great yeah that's great that's that's a good story um was there a moment where you said i want to i'm going to run for mayor during all that like when you were kind of making those you know you've been here in farmington were you looking at the mayor's position at some point way back when and saying you know what or was it just like i just want to get involved with the community yeah it's weird i'd never i never really thought about being the mayor um my senior high school we had government day up here and I got to meet the mayor, and it's great because Mayor Tom Taylor at the time is now one of my one of my dear friends, and so it's cool to, to you know have been a high school kid and really respected the mayor. I went to high school with his daughters, um, and then now be the mayor. And you know anything I need from Tom, I call Tom, and we have a great relationship. So it's kind of cool. But no, I, I don't think I ever really thought about being the mayor. Um, I really love this town. I feel very fortunate that I got to spend my high school years here versus, 
in Denver, even though that's, you know, I had all my friends and all those things. This is just such a, a great place to be a kid. I mean, there's so much to do outside. Mm. And, you know, you get to hear a lot of people like, there's nothing for teenagers to do. And we spent all of our time in the Glade and the Canyon. And, you know, that's where we were at all the time. Yeah. So it was pretty special. Yeah. That, my next question is why Farmington? You know, why do you, why you love it so much? That's part of it, right? Well, it's a unique, it's a unique place, I think, here in the United States. Um, you get four beautiful seasons. You've got Navajo Lake. You've got Farmington Lake. You've got three rivers, so to speak, but the San Juan Animas. Um, and you have these beautiful canyons. And it's funny because as a high school kid, we never – Everything we did was either in, in the Glade or we went to Colorado. You know, we had friends who had cabins up in Visito, and so we would, we would usually do that. It wasn't until I was an adult and learned about the Bistai Badlands that are, that are south of town and how amazing those landscapes are. Um, that, how, how far is that, sorry? Uh, Bistai is about 30 miles south, Okay. Um, just up the Bistai Highway, and it's... It's alien landscapes. I don't know if I have a picture in here. Yeah, so this picture there. Oh, yeah. It's just filled with hoodoos. and That's what I mean, those are called? Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> this whole area used to be kind of the edge of the Inland Sea, and that was kind of the swampy areas. And so as everything, you know, as the sea evaporated and went away, it left some amazing landscapes. And... Mm. I'm told that the KT event that killed the dinosaurs when you know the meteor hit down mm-hmm. by Mexico, mm-hmm. all across the world you can find a layer of dirt that where the KT event it, you know it all fell out. Mm-hmm. The Bistai has the largest exposed area of KT uh, land in in the world. Wow, wow, yeah, that sounds magical, right? Yeah. So I know we do. We were talking about podcasts earlier. I do a Mayor's Table podcast, and one of the first ones we did was we actually took. Um, where I say they took, was a geologist with the Bureau of Land Management took us out there and toured us around and actually told us and showed us, and which was fantastic. And we went to this place called the Log Jam where you've got these, you know, 30-foot, 40-foot conifer trees that are petrified, you know, and there's no trees anywhere near there. You can see the mountains to the, to the west, but all those trees in a flood event, and you can see the, the results of this flood event and how mm. the sandstone is formed and all these. I mean, it's it's really neat. So yeah. I highly recommend it if you haven't been out there. No, that sounds great. That yeah. sounds great. Um, you were talking about, like, things to do here. Um, I told you that, you know, my position, the reason I came to Farmington was uh, d- working as a PA uh, for Reliance and doing some uh, urgent care there and, and some occupational health. And I've had kids come in with, you know, do, the, do their sports physicals and stuff like that with their parents. And I'm real inquisitive in a new town, so I'm always asking, hey, you know, what what do you do? Like, as a 15-year-old kid, and, and a lot of them are like, there's nothing to do here, you know, um, kind of their arms folded. Sure. <laughs> and I think you, I think probably in every city in America, you get those kids that say that same thing. Yeah. Regardless of what's there. My wife is up in Colorado Springs uh, today, and she sent a text to me and my son and said, you know, within a half mile of where we're staying, there's... Top golf, indoor go karts, like just started naming off all these things. Mm. All those things cost a lot of money to do, by the way. Yeah, you know, if you go to Top Golf for an hour, I mean, it's it's expensive. It's not cheap. It's not accessible to everybody. Right. Everything here that's fun to do outside is accessible to everybody. 
And I think that's pretty special. I mean, I, you and I, I think talked about this when we were talking about doing this podcast. I mean, within 60 miles of here, you can do everything outdoor recreation related except get in an ocean mm-hmm. and surf. <laughs> yeah. Right. I guess so. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think that's pretty special. And I think it's one of the attractive things, you know, why people end up landing here. Right. Right. Yeah. You, do you hunt? I do. You do? Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. All right. I like you already. Yeah. This is good stuff. What do you hunt? I like, we like to hunt elk. Okay. So my son and I, um, so it's funny, we've only drawn out three times, drew out for deer and that was like 2008. That's the last time I drew out uh-huh. and I put in every year. Wow. Okay. He, um, after completing Hunter's Ed, got a special draw to go hunt antelope on, um, the Turner Ranch up in Cimarron. That's the air conditioner. Oh, okay. Is that loud? Yeah, it's okay though. Okay. Um, so we got to, we got to go antelope hunting, which was awesome. Did you get? Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Delicious. Nah, that's that's really? the best meat. Oh, okay, I never had. Oh it. man, it's, I've, I've it's, heard it's bright red. It's oh, and wow. it is really good. So real beef, kind of beefy quality, or yeah, it's not gamey at all. Of course, Cimarron, they're eating different things than what they're eating around here, but um, it was some it was some of the best meat I've ever had. Really. Yeah. Did you put them down quick then? Or she, yeah. Or she? Yeah. Okay. So she didn't run this no. quick. That's nice. It's weird. She came to us. It was really interesting. Really? So we spotted her off in the distance, um, and we kind of were watching her, and she could see us. We're like, all right. So we ducked down, went down this hill, stood there for a minute, went back up, and she was moving to us. Mm-hmm. So we just kind of waited for a while, and all of a sudden we came back up, and she was 150 yards, 100 yards and he took the shot and dropped her. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's good, and it's good that you like the meat too. Oh yeah. What um what caliber do you guys use for elk, or do you? Um, um so we went with a buddy who who had access to a oh, very okay. expensive rifle. Oh, I see. So it's a lo- ex- very expensive rifle. Loner. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, so we went elk hunting. We drew out last December for a cow elk. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And yeah, my son hit a 550-yard shot. Jeez, yeah. that's that's seriously long range right really there. Cool. Yeah, for yeah. for elk too. Picture of it too. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm glad that you that you hunt, and that's that's a. Uh, I'm sure you've listened to some of the pod, some of my other podcasts. Yeah. That's a big got a big hunting component to it. Not for just because that's a big interest of mine right now. I, I I have you hunted since you've been here. I have, I have down in the Fence Lake area last year. I got real lucky too, man. I got, uh, I, I ended up, you know, uh, getting a tag for for a bull elk, and oh, that's nice. That's a nice picture there. Look yeah. at you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got real lucky here, and then I drew out this year too. So awesome. I have, I have a November hunt coming up that I'm super excited about. It's a mule, my first time hunting mule deer. So. Okay. Super excited about that. But, man, that's great that you do that. I think that um, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, I always like to put that component of family in there because I think it's a real, a real. I don't know, maybe some, uh, some people don't see it that are already in that culture and grew up hunting and, and they have that that whole family component. But to me, it's really important um, uh, because I didn't grow up like that and I was late on set and stuff. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, my father didn't hunt. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, we were very, very much city family mm-hmm. even though the mountains were you know right there um what got you into it then what my, all my buddies hunt oh okay yeah, so 
I'm like, all right, well, let's go home. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Oh, right on, man. And I wanted to have that memory with my son. I really felt like that was a, a big component. Yeah. Uh, I wanted him to be able to always have that and then and then do it with his kids. I wanted him to have that knowledge and ability to go do it with his kids. Yeah. I love being out there and talking about other about life. You yeah. know, I mean, I'm sure it's a good stress reliever for you too to be. You said you with your buddies, be out there with your buddies and just kicking around some ideas, maybe about work and stuff like that. I, I mean, it, it just takes you away from everything. So a decision you make out there could change people's lives here, especially in your position. You know what I right. mean? For the better, obviously. So I love that. Um, I wanted to um, dig down on some. I gotta shut my phone off here. I um, I wanted to dig down on some. Uh, some politics, though, since, since okay. that you're since you're uh, uh, a politician. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you mind if we discuss uh, national issues? Sure. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah. So, if you were president, what would you do to change our country? And I guess I'll take one step back. Is there a problem with our country right now? Do you do you see? Are that's there, a really broad question. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a very broad question. I think. Um, I think the loss of, of what I would deem family values and it not being a, a huge component of from the top-down leadership expressing the need for us to really support the family. The family unit is what has made America great. It's, mm-hmm. one, of the, it's one of the most important components we have, and not just America, but societies in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that component has been lost a little bit, and I, I don't like that. Okay. Um, I think we've become distracted by a lot of other things, and I... I would like to see us come back to that that root component. I love um, that you mentioned that first, man. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so, I mean, just, you know, here as mayor, it's nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. So we don't run primaries for Republicans or Democrats, or whatever. It's a nonpartisan position, which I really like. Yeah. Um, I'm a big, a big proponent of, I get, I get part of my issue right now at the United States, the divisiveness that we're dealing with perpetuated by what you know the social media um 24-hour news cycles this constant need to have to tell people what you believe in before you even get to know them and understand them and learn about them Mm -hmm. and i've used the analogy to say it seems like anymore we just show up wearing a nascar suit and all the patches on the nascar suit are all of our beliefs Mm. and now i'm going to come at you and this is who i am and either you accept me for what you see on my nascar suit or we can't be friends Mm -hmm. and i don't like that uh, I get discouraged at times when I meet new people or even even people I've known for my whole life who still feel like they have to tell me their political views, you know, right off the bat. And it's like, man, I've known, I've known you forever. You don't have to tell me. I know. Mm-hmm. Um, or if somebody brand new that I meet, I'm like, well, but is that really you? Is that everything that's in your life? Because I don't think that's the case. And we've had conversations here locally. Um, how do we bridge that divisiveness? Um, what is the answer there? And you're sitting in a room full of people, many of whom are, are looking at the other side. Well, and I'll give you an example. We're sitting in this meeting, and they wanted to have this kind of local conference here uh, to help people get subjects out that were confrontational. Um, anything. everything, any, Anything anymore can be confrontational, right? Whether it's gun rights, abortion, you know, public health care, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And they're like, so what do you guys think? How should we kind of, you know, format this conversation so that we can, you know, get people to talk about things? And, and if they can put it in a safe space, we can get out in the safe space and we can all kind of hash it out together. And one of the guys that was sitting there says, well, I know this man right here is a Republican. I already know what he thinks. 
Mm. And I don't want to hear what he thinks. And that and that's the issue. Yeah. Right? Like, but yeah, but you don't know anything about him. Right. You know, what makes you believe that? And it turns out you're both veterans. You know, you you both served in foreign wars. You have that component, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so one of the things I've always really try to espouse in life is trying to have this idea that there's there's some common goals and things that we can all be working for if, if we can put all our other differences aside. Because I truly believe that we have way more in common than we have different. Mm-hmm. I mean, by and large. The experiences that we have in life are very different wherever you grew up and I grew up. We probably have different experiences we could share, but we also have a lot of similar things that we could share mm-hmm. and things that really speak to our hearts and who we are in our spirit and those components. And we just, we got to get people back talking face to face with one another and stop hiding behind these keyboards, just being, you know, upset and yelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are, those are huge. Uh, the divisiveness, uh, uh, I'm glad that you, you mentioned family first, that you would try to get the family unit kind of back together or make that like a kind of priority for us as, as a, as a union. Um, the divisiveness is huge obviously I, I don't think that we've ever been so divided in our country um and i come at you in a way in a, in a non-partisan way okay i'm not sure. saying that i'm one way or the other um i whether i'm whatever right independent democrat republican i think everybody sees that we have an issue okay whether uh you know cer- certain people don't want to voice it or or can't voice it because they're just too busy in their lives I mean, I work a full-time job, you work a full-time job. At what point do we, I mean, do we really need to get stressed out for hours a day trying to, you know, watch the news cycle and figure out what this person's doing and what that, I mean, we we got kids, we got life, we got, you know, things that we want to do and we want to be happy and we only got a certain amount of time to do it. So how much time are we going to really expend uh, trying to make this, our world a better place? I feel like a lot of us feel like our hands are tied right? Like we can't do anything, you know? Yeah, we have a vote, we can vote. But um, it seems to me, and you know, I might be alone in this, I doubt it. But I might be alone in this in saying that over the last especially like five years or so, maybe even more than that, there's been this downward decline of uh, being a member of society and feeling that you have a voice. I feel like things are happening around us. And it's like, wait a minute, how did that happen? Or who made that decision? And how is that even going to be a law? You know, um, And I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like um, I, that's how I feel. And I feel like my hands are tied. And you know, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I, I want to get out there and be happy. And I don't have time to be stressing out about it. You know, right. I'd, I'd really like to know what's going on. And I'd like to like put my two cents in. But unless I'm going to jump in the ring you know, and, and dedicate the rest of my life to trying to make things right. I don't know that I'd be able to make a difference with my one vote. And I, I feel a lot of people feel that way. I mean, would you, would you agree? agree yeah. And I would, that? I would agree with that in the context that governments become way too involved in our lives. Yeah. Way too involved. They aren't, the government's not supposed to be this mammoth in the room of every, everybody's thoughts and, and where and and reactions to things, it's it's not supposed to be that way. Yeah. And so now it is. It does come to that, and it's and it's interesting. You know, in, in serving as mayor, um, where I truly believe local government is where we have the biggest impact because it's you're dealing with 
the components to make everyday life good or bad. I mean, right now we're in the middle of construction season because it's summertime, and so all the roads are tore up, and so people people are upset. But hey, we live in a good city that has a focus on making sure infrastructures, you know, being being done. But uh, parks, public safety. I mean, all those things are happening right here, and local government has contr- you know control and influence over that, which means the local citizens also have a much closer and component and relationship with those services. Mm-hmm. When I go to Santa Fe to you know, go to commission meetings or do some presentations on things, I, I see individuals who are sitting up there who've been in their roles for a very long time, and I believe there is a huge disconnect between the people who are electing them and what they're actually what they're actually doing and the decisions that they're making. I don't think there's I don't think they're tied in at all. Hmm. E- the ETA, the Energy Transition Act, that was passed here back in two thousand eighteen, um, was made by individuals who sat in this this whole this act basically said. We're going to set limits for how much CO2 can be produced out of power plants. It finger-pointed San Juan Generating Station, which was a power plant that we were part, the city is part owner in, mm-hmm. um, basically assured its closure 40 years before it's supposed to close. So they closed it last September. And we're in Santa Fe to, to tell them, look, there's a transition. transition's great. If we want to do energy transition, wonderful. Where's the replacement power? Mm. What are we going to do with the 1,600 jobs that are going to now disappear because we don't have the coal mine and the power plant. Mm-hmm. How are we going to deal with that? We're in a state of 2 million people. 1,600 jobs is significant. Um, how are we going to deal with that? None of these things were well thought out. The senators who were sitting up there considering it in one of their commission meetings, one of the committees, every single one of them said, this is a terrible bill. Uh, this may be illegal. and But we're going to vote for it. Hmm. And you're like, you know, and, and most of those folks don't live in the place where the people are actually performing the work, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're talking 1,600 jobs, 50% of those are $100,000 a year plus jobs. Those are economic-based jobs. Economic-based jobs create service sector jobs. When you lose those economic-based jobs, all of a sudden all those service sector jobs also go away. We were already dealing with the fact in the four corners that you have oil and gas going through these boom and bust cycles. But we had ConocoPhillips, who was here for decades. This was one of their home bases, one of their headquarters. And so they were bringing in every year an array of, of highly paid engineers and workforce that was funneling in from Alaska, from Houston, from other places. And then they, they shut their doors on their two big buildings. And so, you know, 300 jobs left the area, mm. high paying jobs. Those high-paying workers also had kids who probably grew up in households with parents who had really good work ethic, Mm. got good educations, and those kids helped field service sector jobs. Where we're dealing with right now, all across this region, all across the United States even, I'm just focusing here, Mm -hmm. is the lack of individuals willing to fill these $13, $14 an hour jobs. And so that population of people who who were helping you know, who were there doing those jobs before, because that's less and less. Now we're competing for a much, you know, smaller sector of society to fill those same jobs. And what we're trying to do as a city is grow, mm. which means we have to grow those number of jobs. Mm-hmm. So I only, only bring that up just 
from the standpoint, the individuals who made the decision to pass this bill, that the governor and, and all these folks are like, look, we're, we are leading the nation right behind California, even though we don't have any of the same resources as California. I mean, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. But we're going to stay with them, and we're willing to kill all these jobs and kill industry, even though there's nowhere else for these workers to go. Because we want to uphold this idea that we're going to be as environmentally friendly as possible, um, but not look at any other the recourses of these decisions. None of those folks who voted for that bill lived anywhere where oil and gas and coal are the livelihood of their community. Mm. Yeah, that's um, and that's and, hard. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> it's I'm a hard thing to choke down. When you said that they voted for that, the first thing I wanted to ask you is why. But I mean. Who knows why, right? I mean, well, it's like you mentioned about the fact that what does my vote mean? What does my one vote mean? Well, just think how far away people are in Washington, D.C. from the places that they serve. New Mexico is a long ways away. And one of our senators who's there couldn't be more disconnected from the industries that run this state and just doesn't pay attention to it, doesn't care. Mm. And you're like, man, you're, you got you to gotta stay. And he lives most of the time in D.C., Hmm. So you're so far away from the electorate who puts you in that position, and all your requirement is every four years, or you know, just to make sure you can keep go getting those votes, and they can stay there for as long as they want. Yeah. So I was I was going to talk about this later, but let's talk about it now. Um, how do these people stay in office? And if somebody wants to back them, I say back. Uh, you talk about the, the word lobby. To me, lobby means bribe. I don't I don't know how else to say that, but lobby to me means bribe. But the, how are you going to take that out of politics? But you have these lobbyists, um, you know, in in areas above us. And I don't know if it's here, if you have lobby lobbyists here or not. I'm, I'm just, I'll say that just because I'm ignorant to the whole situation. But sure. And, and if there is a step, like, are there certain people that approach you here to do things you know, when the the community looks at some of your decisions and said, yeah, I, I figured that he was going to go that way with this, but he went this way. Why did he do that? And is that the uh, kind of like the entrance to lobbying? And, and I'm not saying you're being bribed. I'm just talking in general oh, yeah. for anybody. At, oh, it's at, good. People need to understand that. Right. Right. And then at what point, where where in the political process do those lobbyists actually approach uh, a public servant and say, you know, hey, I know that the the community wants this, but you're probably going to need to do this if you're going to want to be mayor again or if you're going to want to be uh, a senator again. Is, is, does that make sense? Sure. So, well, I can. So I'll just say at the local level. I mean, there are there are obviously organizations here, special interest groups. We'll say which it could be any group whatsoever, right? I mean, mm -hmm. any group that has a particular focus or an agenda could be called a special interest group. Mm -hmm. There are certainly those groups within the city who go to their elected officials and say, hey, I would, I'm interested in you doing X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. um, this is why I would like for you to do this or, and, and let's explain it to you. But at this level, there's not, there's not people being paid to lobby counselors. That may happen in bigger cities. Mm -hmm. uh, in Farmington, it doesn't. Santa Fe, it does. And we, the city of Farmington has a lobbyist in Santa Fe. So we pay a person who's in Santa Fe, who's keeping an eye on legis legislation that is would be concerning for us, mm -hmm. things that are going to, you know, the state's going to take more money from us, the state's going to change the way taxes are collected, the state's going to, you know, pass an ETA bill that's going to, you know, take 1,600 jobs out of your city. 
we have a lobbyist there who's paying attention to those things, and he'll ask us, do you support this bill? Do you not support this bill? Mm. You so know, that's things, how it works. Things dealing with law enforcement, you know, he's there asking our chief, hey, do you support this bill? Do you not support this bill? Or, hey, I need you to come to Santa Fe to speak at this committee meeting so that you can give them boots on the ground information that will help them determine whether or not to support this bill or not. Mm. So that's what our lobbyist does. Interesting. But that lobbyist is also representing other entities, right? So he's getting paid from other people, and, and yeah, he takes he takes senators out for drinks, he takes house reps out for dinner. I mean, yeah, I don't. And to the extent of how they're lining the pockets, this is the ETA bill is my best example. So, sitting at the table during one of the committee meetings is two uh, as a representative. From Las Cruces and a senator from Albuquerque. The senator from Albuquerque is an attorney. He's there. Uh, this is the bill that they've co-wrote together. The governor also was a part of that. But behind them is the is PNM, Public Service Company of New Mexico, who is the biggest owner of the power plant. And the I'm going to use the word collusion here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever context you want to take that in. Sure. The fact is, is the writers of this bill when they needed information. They're turning around and talking to PM. So PM is also a part of this bill mm. to close down their own power plant. Why? Why, if you don't have replacement power, and why, when you're getting affordable, reliable power, why are you interested in closing that all down? Hmm. Talk to me. Because there's a big payout. Yeah. And it, within this bill, there was $375 million that were paid to PM to offset the costs of the best alternative um, they call it BART technology but two years prior to this PM had spent 375 million dollars putting in clean coal technology on that power plant so the only thing that was coming out of those stacks was co2 mm. no all the other elements had been trapped mm-hmm. so the state was paying them back for that investment the state paid them back for that investment the state gave them their bond rating so they when they had to go out to purchase replacement power um, and build replacement power, they would have the state's bond rating, which would save them money as well. And there's a third component in there. Oh, and then what we found out later as well is PNM is in, was in the middle of conversations to merge with a uh, renewable energy company out of Europe, Avangard, Avangrid. Um, <laughs> and all, so all these things are lined up, and PNM. And I would imagine the CEO and some major leadership, and they're probably made a pretty good chunk of money on this whole deal. Wow. And I, you know, I mean, that's, that's, but that's the game. I mean, I can't default them. I can't default them for playing the game the way the game is designed to be played. Yeah, they're right. Bus- their business and doing that's what's what best they're doing. That's yeah. right. Wow. This is disturbing. So, uh, whether, when is, is stuff like that in the, is that is that objective information for people to see, or is it this is just because you're privy to information? You can you see what's going on. No, I think I mean all these are public hearings. So if you're, but the key is this: you have to be interested in it, right? It has mm. to be something that you care about, yeah, for you to want to pay attention to it. And I think that goes for a lot of things. I mean, just just a comment about you know you want your two cents heard. Why did they choose to do this when I thought they would do that? I mean, it, you have to pay attention to all these things, and it, it could be overwhelming. Yeah. And you and I and most people don't have time to follow along in that way, and that's 
that's why we pay a lobbyist mm-hmm. is to help us kind of you know weed through all the all the mess so we can get down to the heart of the matter. But most people don't don't have that time or or the willingness. We we constantly talk about the need for transparency uh, in local government, which is a must. Um, how do we communicate with the public? How frequently we should be putting communication out, and even though, and this is nine years that I've served here now as counselor and as mayor, I mean, we've, you know, every social media page you can think of, every department has a social media page. Everything that goes on, if there's a power outage, immediately it's on the social media page. Um, we communicate through people through emails. We have all the agendas we, uh, for every public meeting online. You can stream the city council meetings live, so you don't have to come to city hall to do it. Mm-hmm. You can go back and watch old city council meetings as well. You have all these measures to communicate with people, and it still amazes me how people don't know what's going on. Yeah. Because you have to make a choice to commit to know what's going on. Yeah. You can even sign up to get the news, the, to get the minutes emailed to you, but you have to want to read the, the minutes. Yeah, that sounds dry. It sounds like to somebody who's out there doing, you know, living their life, it's like, you know, I just want to know when there's a problem. Just email me when there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's where the press is important. Because that's also part of what the press is supposed to be doing, is following some of that information so that they're putting that information out for the public as well. And we've had a really dry spell, and this is no offense to the Daily Times, who's been here forever and ever, but the Daily Times is owned out of a company out of Texas, and they have slowly been decreasing the amount of coverage that they're putting into Farmington. So now, over this last 10-year period, we're down to one reporter for the Daily Times. Wow. Yeah. For everything. For yeah, because people aren't buying newspapers anymore. Yeah, right. So which means no companies are advertising in newspapers anymore. Mm-hmm. So the newspaper is going out the door. Well, for a population of people over the age of sixty-five, the newspaper still has been a pretty relative component of their life. And yeah. now you don't have a newspaper that's actually doing it. Now we have a new newspaper that's come in from Durango called the Tri City Record, and they've been doing a lot more of the of local reporting, which is fine. And they're getting their content out on social media, I would take it, like Facebook and that, or... Because, I mean, who... who I mean, do, do you pick up a paper every... You probably pick up a paper every well, day. Well, we still get them here at City Hall. Yeah. So, you but, know, I, I get to see a paper. Right. But at home, do you have, like, a... Exactly. No. Exactly. No. So, so you know, people our age, younger than us, like, what... How are we getting our information? It's obviously social media, right? You're right. Well, podcasts right now. Well, yeah, there's... That's part of it. Which, but who... How many people listen? Uh, there's probably some people who listen to local podcasts. I would think so, but that again are interested, and yep. those are probably the same people who would be, you know, interested in listening to the to the minutes, or you know, or even attending a meeting. But I most feel most people know exactly. I feel like yeah. I stand with the the majority of the public in that we're all concerned when something bad happens. When things are going good, it's you know, hey. That's the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be going well. Right. And that and that um, kind of harkens back to the national question that I wanted to ask you. You're right. The local we are the we are the meat, the meat and potatoes, I feel. The the bread and butter of this nation is here in the in the local communities. If we do it right, I mean, we don't need to go outside of Farmington. We don't need to go outside of somebody. But what about these people who live in the cities and these people that travel quite a bit and see their countries? You know, take, seeing the country take a nosedive, what you know. Um, that's why I asked you that kind of uh, kind of fantasy question. That might not be a fantasy question. Who knows? You might be president. Yeah, one I don't day. know about that. But if if you were president 
And you mentioned two things. You mentioned family, which is, I love that you mentioned that first, because I see that too as a huge problem. Um, and then you also mentioned how divisive things have been. What else would you change? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a dreamy question, but sure. what else would you, would you change on a national level that you see that's, that's, that's an issue or that have been big issues as of late? Well, I would tell you that from the, if, if I was talking about federal government, which, I mean, that's a pretty broad question. Yeah, yeah. Anything that Federal you, government-wise? Something that comes out to you is like, yeah. oh, my gosh, I would stop the war. That's number one. Or right. I would do this. Or, you know. we, have to, we have to reduce the size of the federal government. I, I cannot... I, I wanted to actually have a figure today to figure out how much money the federal government has printed and put into the, to the marketplace since 2020. It's absurd. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It's totally absurd. And yeah. so I'm at the grocery store last night buying chicken. And chicken's six dollars and forty nine cents a pound, and I'm like, I'm like, how can people afford this? Yeah. How can people afford four dollars and fifty cent gas? How can we? How? How? And why? Well, because they pumped all this cash into the system, which dropped the value of the dollar. But did everybody's wages go up to offset that? No. Yeah. Well, now wages are going to have to go up. Well, okay, but the wages are going to go up. The prices are going to continue to go up. And I, I just think that component of, of the Fed's just the overreach, mm. just the crazy overreach. Because what we've created now is a society of people who want – they just want. Mm. They want something. Give me some. You want my vote? You're going to need to give me something. Mm-hmm. You want me to keep you in power? What are you going to give me? And I, that, that's the part that I'm, I'm, I'm most discouraged about. People need to be accountable. And – when the federal government or the state government and whoever is constantly trying to subsidize people's way of life, then people are stopping being accountable. Yeah. And that loses the work ethic, that hurts the family, that does a lot of really bad things. Um, and poverty, poverty in the state of New Mexico is our biggest issue. And it's, it's been a poor state forever. Uh, the trajectory of, of our GDP versus Arizona and Colorado in 1940, we were all kind of on this same level together. And then we became very heavily government, all the Sandia Labs and um, um, Los Alamos Labs and White Sands. I mean, we became very federal government oriented. Mm-hmm. We have the gross receipts tax, which was put in play because government was had such a big impact on, on economy. So gross receipts tax then taxes. If you make a widget and I need to buy your widget to add to my – you make a computer chip. It's got to go on my computer. You get taxed on the development of your computer chip. I then pay taxes on buying the computer chip. And then when I put it in my system, I sell it. Somebody else is paying taxes on on all of that. Mm-hmm. So it's the stacking component. And, and the states had a problem with it forever. Hawaii Hawaii was the other state that had gross receipts tax. And I think they still have it. But the way it's impacted us here is it's made us uncompetitive for businesses, mm. for manufacturing, and for all these other things. Now you look at Arizona, you look at Colorado, you look at Utah, and their GDPs have just absolutely, you know, blown ours out of the water. So can you change that? It's uh, It's been a conversation that has been going on for decades, and we keep thinking that tax reform is going to happen. But you, to pull that Band-Aid off, there's a lot of concern about, oh, okay, what if it doesn't work right? And I think we're at a position over the last – you know, certainly over the last five, six years where we've been taking um, you know, oil and gas production down to the southeast corner of the state, 
has, I mean, we're going to have another $4 million, $5 million surplus, billion surplus this year at the state. So we've seen that budget just grow exponentially. Now's the time to do it. Mm. You've got that, that kind of that cushion right there in case things go bad and the state can step in and help out. But I think now's the time to do it. Mm. And, but it's not as easy as it, as it sounds, right? It's yeah. very complicated. If you look at our tax base, um, of all goods that can be taxed or services that can be taxed, it's only like 30% of them. 70% of all those other things have been removed from the tax base. And so that puts a heavy component, tax component, on the 30% that can be taxed. For example, they, they removed uh, food and drugs from the tax base back in 2004? No. No, it was like 2014. Anyways, when you think about a, a tiny community, Aztec, Aztec Safeway, that was that's a big money driver for that community. People mm-hmm. need groceries. Mm-hmm. Well, for that local government that relies on the taxes from those food sales in order to pave roads and pay police and do all that, all of a sudden that's no longer in your tax base anymore. Mm-hmm. So the local government then is like, well, what are we going to replace these millions of dollars that are no longer a part. So then the state came in and said, well, look, we'll pay you. It was 2004. We'll pay you the difference is what we're going to do. We're going to raise all other goods. We're going to raise the tax on that by a quarter percent across the state. We're going to take the money from raising taxes on all other goods so that we can pay you back for the money that you're no longer being able to get from the sale of food. That's what they did. Jeez. Right. I mean, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul kind yeah. of mentality. Yeah. Because obviously, for and, and, and if you're thinking about individuals who are not well off, you know, food foods uh, can be a, is a big expense, right? Mm. Well, but if those individuals are already on some sort of food stamp program or welfare program, then their food is free. Yeah. <laughs> so who is really being impacted yeah. by taking the food tax on? Anyway. Yeah. No. These things get con- right. they get convoluted, and and people fail to think about everything that's involved in that context to try and help one particular segment of the population. Hmm. And that's that's more of what I see, too. On that national level, they've become, due to lobbying, due to special interest groups, They've we, we are constantly focusing on small groups of people in our society instead of saying, hey, we really need to be just, let's focus on the whole. Because when we focus on the whole, and this is what we try to do here in Farmington, is that understanding that, you know, if we raise the tides... It's going to lift all boats. Yeah, it's not just that guy's boat or those people's boat. It's we want to make it fair and, and I say fair. That's not really the case. We want to make this community. We want to make the playing field, whether it's opening a business, recreating, tourism, or make it so people can enjoy life, run a good business, raise your family. You know, we want the full enchilada. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you plan on on running? Uh, well, I know that you're you announced you're you're um, you're trying to run again, right? Right, uh, running for mayor again. And then, do you see aspirations for yourself for doing anything? Um, I don't say above that, but doing anything else in politics. I do. Um, Tell me, what's your dream? Like, what if you had to, you know, click your fingers and say, okay, this is this is my trajectory in my political well i think if if i had a dream i i would dream to be governor of new mexico Mm. i think it's i think it's a very unrealistic dream but i know a lot of people achieve dreams that are unrealistic so i get that um 
that would be something I would be very interested in doing. That's neat. Yeah. 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 So what? What's the timetable? What do you think? Like, would you go straight from mayor to running for governor, or no? How would how how does that work? I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer because this is how I've I've lived my whole life. If you really want to get good at something, you need to start. You need to start low, mm. or you need to start at the ground level, whatever that ground level may be, and learn, mm. and listen, and observe. Right. I've always preached. You've got. If you come into a new group the best thing you can do is use these two ears and not this one mouth. I mean, that, that's, that to me, people who walk into rooms and they don't even know, know people there, they just come in, they, they've got this idea of whatever it is they want to say and they just start talking and want other people to listen, that's a big turnoff. So I would, I would want to go in at you know, a state, state rep level, get elected as, you know, in the House of Representatives, or go in as a senator um, and learn how, what does the process look like when you're in the roundhouse. How are they dealing with, with one another? How are bills being created and negotiated? And, and I, would want, I would want to do that. And I would connect myself with individuals who have been there and have done it and certainly you know, people here that I know, and I would, I would want to learn that. Mm-hmm. Now, Tom Taylor, you know, former mayor, he was mayor for 12 years. And then after that, he spent 16 years in the House of Representatives for the state. Oh, so he's kind of like a mentor. Yeah. Awesome. And so... Tom's got a, a great background in understanding how all those things work. Steve Neville, um, who I respect tremendously, he's been a senator uh, at the state level for a long time. Bill Scher. Um, but going, you know, you talk to Tom Taylor, he would be a great guy to have on a podcast. Really? We've done some things with him. He's, he's, his history, his knowledge of the area and, and knowledge of New Mexico, and I mean, his family came here as traders. And um, so he's, he's got, He's a really cool guy to talk to. Cool. Um, but he will tell you, you know, if Tom, what did you enjoy more, being, you know, the house rep for the area or being the mayor? And he's like, mayor all day. Because mayors can actually do something. Mm. And when a constituent calls me, I mean, right before this, we started the show. Constituent called me, dealing with, you know, an issue. He's just expanded the footprint of his business. He's looking to grow uh, his business. And he's like, hey, this is my conversation with the fire marshal, I appreciate everything they said. So now what do I need to do if I want to do something different? I, I can help him. I can actually do something to help him. Um, another great example, this morning, I get a Facebook message from a guy who's, who's the director of nursing at the uh, Aztec Healthcare Center. Mm-hmm. A patient went missing. Right? And he's, so he sends me this Facebook message 7 o'clock this morning. Hey, I, I'm trying to get a hold of the sheriff's office and Farmington Police. We've we filed a report with with Aztec Police, but we need more resources. Can you help me? Okay, I yeah. said, give me your callback number. Give me the case number. Send it to our deputy chief here. Send it to the captain at the sheriff's office. They found the person an hour and a half later. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's so you you have tangible things and and that network is so important. Mm. You know, and knowing where to go for stuff. So, so if I did look at running, it would start. I would start there, yeah, and and then I would want to earn the respect of my peers in that in, in that situation, because it would be those folks who would say, you know, I think you should, I think you should go to the next level. Yeah, not I don't know, you know, anything about the governor now, but um, could you speak freely about the leadership in the state now? Like, how, what, how is the governor now, and is there a lot that you would change, uh, like initially, if you were governor? The governor has a big job. Yeah. A big job. 
Um, when it comes to education, that's that's one of the biggest components that the governor um, works with. Um, you know, I don't I don't think I'll comment on. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. That, that's yeah. fair. Um, I love that you have aspirations to be governor, though. That's really cool. That's, you know, that would be a dream. Yeah, yeah. That, I also want to be. I also want to be a principal. A prin- <laughs> I want to be a football coach. Really? <laughs> I want to own a restaurant. Oh well, you have some aspirations, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I want to clone yeah. myself. Yeah, I clone myself, and then that other person can go do those other things that. Well, you look young I'd enough like to, to where do. you could possibly do all that. Maybe for I want a couple years that. each. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, well, my kids keep telling me like, "Dad, just get a food truck." Oh, that's Let's cool. Go get a food truck and start with a food truck. What kind of what kind of restaurant? Um, I like to cook all sorts of things. Um, I I don't know. I don't know if I've drilled down what I think that menu would be. You know, what would be those specific things that would just be the wow factor? I know this area needs a Cajun restaurant. Ooh, we definitely Cajun. need some Cajun food. All right. I would love to have you know something to that regard. Uh, we have all the tacos and all the you know all the Mexican food, New Mexican food, which is the best food in the world, by the way. I think New Mexican food's the best food. Really? So rich and flavorful. Yeah. I've always thought about taking that. We were down in Puerto Rico earlier this year, and I thought, man, if we can come down here and buy that building right there and put a New Mexican restaurant in there, I bet we kill it because the food is just it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and same kind of similar culture, too. They'd probably enjoy that kind of food down oh, there, yeah. too. Yeah. The chilies. Awesome. I mean, last yeah. week I made uh, – I made um, – I made like three different dishes with four different chilies. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was chipotle chili, jalapenos, green chili, red chili. Like I had all these things. I was like, look at all the chili I just used. Yeah, love chili. That's interesting. That's that's a cool little aspect. How, how do you deal have. with the heat here in the food? Uh, as far as the the heat in the food, yeah, like the, the I'm spice. not a, I'm not a spicy guy. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, the first the the first little bit. Of, I mean, I just like spice for taste. Right. But I don't like spice for heat. Yeah, spice for heat will just like it just ruins the meal to me. Does it? Like I love the taste. If there is something that's got a little kick to it and it's tasty, right? I like that. But if it's like, oh man, I'm like you know looking over and people are sweating and no, I'm not into that not kind of deal. stuff. No, people love that though. Now you grew up, you grew up in Hawaii. Uh, my last ten years, eight to ten years, was in Hawaii, and then last year in Seattle. Yeah. Um. That's kind of one of the reasons I kind of approached you because I've seen from the areas that I've been, and then before that I was in Florida. So I've seen kind of like a, a smattering of different kinds of local government and how, you know, the places that I've been have been run. Right. And then I see like on, a, of course, the broader level, what you see in on social media and the news is more that, you know. And that was that was a big interest in talking to you to see really talk to a politician and get their view on you know again knowing that the the local level is super important but getting their view on the national scene and maybe stuff that i'm seeing that i need a little rein in and say hey you maybe you're looking at it wrong because if you really think about all the problems me personally okay not you if if i thought about all the problems that our country has right now in comparison to what it was maybe even 10 years ago, it make makes my head spin. Like, I feel like I'm on a different planet. Yeah. Like, things have changed so much. Now, everything has got to progress. I get it. You know, as, as people get older, they get a little more crusty, a little bit more set in their ways. And when things change, people don't like that. And things need to change. I get it. And some kind, sometimes change is uncomfortable. Right. And, but 
with change comes growth in in a person, in my opinion. Absolutely. So, so you got to look at it that way. That's how I've looked at it when I've had a resistance and that I'm like, man, I, I don't see it that way. Or I, that makes me uncomfortable, you know. But if you like really wrap your head around it and say, okay, that's coming anyway. So you're going to have to like, you know, for me, a big one was social media. I mean, I, I love when Instagram came out. You could just post your picture, follow who you want. And there was no algorithms. So they started putting algorithms in the stuff. It's like, why am I looking at this? You know, what right. is this? And then you have no control over some of that stuff. And that, 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 um, that has bled its way into to a lot of things that we do now. You don't have a lot of control over certain things now. It's like things are just kind of happening. And I, I wonder to myself, wait, and that's why I kind of mentioned this earlier. How did that happen? How did who made that law? And like why why did why are we doing that? And me growing up, I had no interest in politics. My interest in politics is strictly because I see things that are going wrong. If things are going right, I mean, why would you not pay attention? Yeah, why would you care? Right. And so the caring comes with like seeing something that has happened, and you're like, man, I 100% do not agree with that, and I don't see how we're doing this. Like, why are we doing this? This is not good for anybody, you know? Right. And I mean, I could, I, I don't mind telling you about like, you know, certain instances. I'm not. I don't want to put you on the spot and say, "Hey, tell me about this." I want to know like what your view is on no, I this. I think people understand whether you're wh- whatever your political affiliation is. Yeah, you feel that way. You do. You really do. <laughs> I don't. I don't care who you are. Some certain people are not looking at it. Maybe don't look at it as hard, and just aren't paying attention. And God bless them. Ignorance is bliss. Like if you right. if you're not looking and you're you 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 already have your path laid out, and you, it's not going to bother you that much. It may irritates you but it's not gonna bother you i get it you know what i mean you just want to be happy and have your job and recreate and have your family but right for some of us that you know aspirate to live a long time and live good lives and and have our families out there and want our kids to have good lives too and their kids it if you really think about it you know where we're headed it's it it makes you scared to me it does you know, if you're really paying attention to everything that's going on, it really makes me scared in in a lot of ways. And that's me thinking about it, like really focusing on it at this particular time. I'm normally right. like a really happy guy, sure. you know, but when you really think about what where our country's headed, it bothers me. So sitting down with a politician like yourself, I have to ask you those questions that are yeah. maybe a little bit uncomfortable and say, hey, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what is this? Is this where we're headed? Is, you know. Well, I, I've always tried to keep it in context that every generation has probably felt that way to some degree, mm-hmm. you know. And so, I, and I've, I've yeah. got friends, and, and it, it's easy to get, especially over the last three years. The last three years have been very, very challenging, um, and people have really struggled in dealing with it on a daily basis because they're seeing it. It's much more in our face than it's ever been in our face mm. because of this three and a half by five inch device that now has our whole attention. Yeah. It has our complete attention. Um, but we... Every generation has felt that way. I really, truly believe that. But don't and you I, think... I, and I... But I, I, I... But my issue is this. My issue really is this thing. But that's not going away. I know it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the issue that it faced when I talked about family is because parents have become so lazy now. 
and I and I'm just this is a very generalized statement by the way because I obviously know parents who are not lazy at all. But when I look at the context of what's happening in our education systems and the outcomes that we're seeing for these students, these students these last 3 years have been hard on our kids. What occurred in 2020 and sending these kids home now has led to huge behavior issues that our teachers are having to deal with in schools because kids have learned I don't have to be here in this building with you. Mm-hmm. I can go home. Yeah. And you can teach me from home. And I don't like I don't like that. Part of going to school is the socialization and and getting that face to face. But these things in technology in general has taken a lot of that away and it's put us a, a lot of people into you know, you made that comment about Instagram. You used to be able to just go post a picture and, and move on and now there's the algorithm and all of a sudden you're staring at it and you're like, How long have I been staring at this? Yeah. You're like I've been on here for twenty minutes, like yeah. I, didn't, I don't have the time to do that. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, that same thing's happening to our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, and next thing you know, this they're, they're all hiding behind this screen, and we've lost that connection to humanity, which when you lose that connection to humanity, you, you, you can't, I can't, you, you stop looking at people like you're human, and you're sharing this human experience. Mm-hmm. You're sharing this digital experience. Sure. You know, and I think that's, 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 and I don't know how to deal with that. That is a very big and question. I don't know how to deal with that. Well, that's what the families, I feel like. That's how you're it's, raising your kids. It's on, the, it's on the parents. But if you've got kids who were raised this way, they're yeah. going to be parents who act that way unless, they, unless somebody or something in their life changes that trajectory, mm-hmm. something. And I, you know, I, I've, you know, just speaking broadly, I love the fact that Israel, for example, requires all of their 18-year-olds to serve two years in the military. Mm-hmm. I think that's incredible. And yeah. it doesn't and I think there should be programs like that in the United States. It doesn't have to be military, but it could be, you know, service corps jobs where we're we're paving we're we're building trails, we're building roads, we're doing those kind of things, something like that. But gets gets our kids a break and, and says, Look, you're now a part of the bigger world. You need to understand how your contribution matters to the bigger world, because I feel like we've lost that too. Mm-hmm. This emphasis on what is government going to do for me, or I'm mad at government for doing this thing, I'll give you, I'll give you this most recent example. And that's been one of the things that's been most telling to me about society in this role as mayor is how many people expect government to do it. So this last 4th of July, we run Freedom Days here. We've had Freedom Days for decades. And there's, there was two different events that were not held this year. And one was the electric light parade on the on the, the night of July fourth, and the other one was called Party in the Park. Both of those weren't weren't ran this year, and the immediate reaction was, "Well, the city the city of Farmington is unpatriotic." That mm. that was some of the reactions that I I saw on some of these social media sites. Well, it's because the city's unpatriotic, and and I'll I'll use a broad term. Oh, it's the liberals. The liberals don't want us to. You know, celebrate the Fourth of July anymore, and then you know we had we had a horrible, tragic shooting here in May, and so somebody's like, "Well, it's because we the city's concerned that people are going to get shot." All of these things are not true; none of them are true. But but it stirred up an emotion within those who were focusing in on their social media sites, and you should have seen some of the responses from people. They're horrible on an untrue, all untrue, unfounded statements. Mm. The reality is, is we had a Rotary Club who had ran the electric light parade for decades, and they no longer had the manpower to run the parade. 
And in a lot of cases, that's what happens, right? You had a person who was probably the single organizer who was making sure all of these things were getting done for the parade, and either they, they left the group, they passed away, or they said, you know what, I've done this for so long, I'm not doing it anymore. Mm. And nobody wanted to step up to do it. So there was no parade. Party in the Park hadn't had people coming out and actually being a part of the Party in the Park. The participation rate had gone down even before COVID. And then after COVID, it, it had never come back up. And so the organizers of that said, well, we're not going to do Party in the Park because we're not getting people to come out. Mm. Neither one of those are city-ran events. People need to participate in their communities. They have to get away from these phones, their electronic devices, and they need to get out there. If you want, if you want an America that holds those traditional American values that make you feel good about your country, you need to be a part of it. And you need to be willing and able and have the skill set to work with other people to make that go, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to check yourself, you know, if, and be able to collaborate. And, and you, you lose that sense if we, if we grow up and if we allow our kids to grow up in an age where they just stare at these, these phones and they're trying to connect with people on the phones. Yeah. That's my... That's where I really think this is a downward, this a downward spiral. Has, somewhere there has to be a break, though. Somewhere there has to be a pushback. And it's, I, think it's, I think it's my kids' generations. Yeah. My kids, I, we have boundaries for my kids. And while I still think there's too much interaction on here, my kids play musical instruments. They're involved in sports and clubs. And, you know, because that's, and that's what I, they, I want them to be well-rounded people. Yeah. Yeah, you take your son hunting. Yeah, I mean outdoors. Yeah, no, we're, we are greatly involved in their lives. Yeah, um, there's more that I would like to do. Yeah, with them. Um, but I, how many people are as dedicated as that? We talk about education, which is our one of our biggest issues we face here as a nation and certainly as a state. How many people were raised in a household? I was raised in a household that had encyclopedias and and books everywhere. My mother was a huge reader. So I, I was reading books at a very young age. That was very important to me. I was a kid always raising my hand in class like, yeah, I'll read. Let me read. Um, how many kids are having that nowadays? We don't have books anymore. <laughs> the, yeah. I mean, that tangible component of holding it and flipping the pages and writing. You know, we don't, we don't oh, write. Oh, writing's, writing's over. We don't write anymore. <laughs> you know, but think about cursive and what, I mean, I, I, lo I, I, ha I love paper and pen. Yeah, I would sit down and I'll doodle and I'll, I mean that, and that's creativity. Yeah, we lose creativity because now I don't know what AI is going to do, but creativity is on a dangerous precipice. Yeah, so what's the remedy? I mean, really, I don't know. I, I do. It's such a big question. I, I really don't know. It's up to the parents. Mm. It's really up to the parents, the people who are raising the next generations who are going to run this world. It's up to them, and it can't be put on the teachers. Because it, the teachers aren't the end-all, be-all. You can't just hand off your kid to a school and be like, raise my kid. But I feel that's the case because guess what, guess what now? The schools are feeding all the kids 365 days of the year. All through this summer, you can go to any elementary school if you're under the age of 18 and get a free meal. Hmm. Which there's good in that yeah. too, right? Sure. I mean, but it's sad to think that maybe for some of those kids, that may be the only meal. Yeah. And that's heart-wrenching. Yeah. But those are, but, but if you're an active member of your community, you will find those opportunities where you can make a difference. And there are thousands of kids in this town who need love, 
mm-hmm. and they need a mentor and they need somebody who believes in them and they need somebody giving them direction to tell them to get off the phone or let's let's go explore new things do you is that like big brothers and big sisters or something there's yeah there's a couple organizations big like, are they big or and they active they're active yeah i think they've got each year they there's like 9900 kids in their program mm-hmm. uh, way more waiting for a big brother big sister for sure the wait list is there gotcha uh, there's a, in the, in our community there's a lot of mentoring programs that have been developed in the high schools um, even in the junior highs i participate in a group called it's your life and we go in and talk to the ninth graders at the high schools for two straight days and we present to them curriculum that talks about why you need to focus on your education now. Mm. What happens if you screw off now and then you graduate and you're not where you want to be? What is the next, what's the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life going to look like? What is the benefit of focusing now versus having to play catch up? Man, I love that. I love that. I love that you're part of that. That's something that you should be a part of. That. I'm not, I would, I would. You tell me what to do. I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer. I'll help you out with that. I will send you. I love that. Yeah, George Sharp is the guy who runs that for us, and he's he's at Marion Oil and Gas. And George is, you know, former city councilor, um, just just a tremendous community member, though. I mean, he's somebody who is a go getter and wants to leave his thumbprint mm. on the place that he lives, and he he does a really good job of that. But yeah, it's your life's a great program. Yeah, that lit me up. I'll I'll help you with that. I, I got to tell you, from the places that I've been, though, um, you know, especially Seattle, and then. Um, Hilo, Hawaii is different. Hilo is a smaller community, so there's there's a lot of community and good good people there. Uh, but coming from Seattle, you know, uh, not that uh, I love big cities. I love that contrast between that and the country because sure, you know, it you know get everything you want. You know, re- good restaurants and get to see the city and walk around the city. Then who who doesn't want to do that for a minute, you know, yeah. or for a little bit? Um, so I like that. And then, um, but I have to tell you, from coming here to Farmington. One of the things I wanted to compliment you on, I don't know if you, if it, se- it seems like just from talking to you that you've, you've had a hand in this, but I see that there is a really strong foundation of family here. There's a strong foundation of community here. And I'm telling you this because I've been around, right? And I, I love it. I love it. I mean, if there was an ocean here, I, I don't know. I mean, this would be the perfect place. You couldn't drag me out of here. But I need the ocean every <laughs> yeah, so often. Yeah. Um, but I love that, you know, there's a big outside community. Like, people go hunting, and they and I don't know about the hiking. I'm not a big hiker. But it seems like people go out on the lake. They go boating and, and a lot of outdoor-type stuff. Because there's not, I want to say, not too much else you can do. But hi, outdoors is a big deal here. Yeah. And then a lot of the people that I run into, especially at the clinic, They've been born and raised here. They've gone somewhere for a year or two and always come back. I can't tell you how many of those stories I've heard. Like, yeah, I went to Colorado or I went to some, in some cases, Seattle or I went to New York or whatever. And I've always, I came back here because it's just different here. I feel at home here. And of course it is home. Right. But there's something else when they talk about it that's a little bit special. And I, I mean, that's, that's hopefully you're doing or part partly you're doing in seeing how important that family component is because the first thing i asked you if, how you change the country is you mentioned family i was like ah, finally somebody mm-hmm. that understands you know where the core of this lies it lies in our future in our in our kids in our family right because right? we're when we're done 
how are our kids, who, who are they learning from, right? Right. They got to learn from us, just like you're talking about with that phone. They got to know when to put that phone down. They got to know how to be a better person, how to have better morals, have better values, those kinds of things. Have a, a man, no, just because I'm a man, have a, a man, a man's character. You know, sure. those are, those types of things are really, really important. So, I just want I want to compliment you there in that. You know, I think you're doing. I mean, I think I don't know the intricacies of your job and right. what the, what you do. <laughs> we just day, met. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what you do day to day, but from what you've said so far, you're saying the the, the important things, in my opinion. You know, and I'm just one guy. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a player in the game. You know, that's how I feel. I'm a player in the game, and I have a role to play, and I want to do the role the best I can. And I, I think we lose sight of that fact that it's, you know, our actions, no, they don't just impact us. They impact other people around us, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that accountability thing. I, I always told my kids that, you know, don't do anything that embarrasses yourself. Don't do anything that embarrasses your family. You know, and if you're playing a sport, don't do anything that embarrasses your teammates or your coaches. You know, think about your actions beforehand and think about them in that context. Is what I'm going to do, is it the right thing and is it, is it going to cause embarrassment? I really appreciate the Japanese culture in that. Mm. They take huge pride in themselves and their families. I mean, sometimes it goes a little extreme, um, but the fact that that's that's their concern. And my my daughter, who's an amazing, just an amazing human being. I, I wish I could clone her. She is truly incredible. Um, she's always told me, Dad, I'm motivated by guilt and shame. Oh my gosh! <laughs> hey, at least she's honest. <laughs> she's, she's like, I don't want to let anybody down. Yeah, you know, I don't want to feel guilty about it. I don't. I don't want to bring shame to myself, and I—that's awesome. My father, um, you know, he, when I was a kid, I mean, his kids should be seen and not heard. Yeah. And when we went places, he, there was a strict rule: like you will, you will speak when spoken to. Zip it up. Yep. But other than that, you know, I don't want to hear you. Yeah. But my father also taught me how to look people in the eye and shake their hand and introduce myself. Yeah. And when it came to family prayer before meals, I mean, I—I I was the kid that got pushed out front. Said Nathan, will you say the prayer? Yeah. You know, and so early on, I was, and I, I was the, the ring bearer in all my brothers and sisters' weddings. I mean, I'm the youngest of six kids, and by 11 years is you know the gap between me and my sister. Um, so I was always pushed out in that Good spotlight, you, which is great. So my kids done the same thing. Awesome. I've always pushed them out there. And yesterday's you know great example. We were putting up, you know, vote for Mayor Duckett yard sign at a guy's house. And he's like, man, the mayor actually came and put this zone sign up. And I was like, well, that's what I do. Yeah. Well, my son was with me, and he was driving me around. He's getting his permit and all this stuff. So he, I didn't prompt him or anything. He got out of the car, came around, and introduced himself. Look at that. At 15. And I'm like, and so I got in, and I got in and told him two things. I said, well, I'm proud of you. And he goes, because I got out, huh? <laughs> that's funny. And I was like, I am proud of that. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that he reads his Bible every night. Nice, and I think that's important. I think, I think that's important too. Yeah, we didn't hit on that, but you, now that you mention it, you have your faith based. You are you yeah. Christian or Christian? Yeah, Christian. That's awesome. Your whole yeah. life you've been that way, or greatest thing my father did for me. Yeah, I was raised me in a in a Christian household and sent me to he sent me to Christian school, and I've, both my kids have attended Christian schools, and um, it's worked. Yeah, so good for you, brother. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. That's it's a big. Important. That's a big deal. Um. Man, that's awesome! You're making me giving me uh, good feels. Good. So I like that. I like that so far. So uh, let's go back to politics for a minute. Okay. Okay. Uh, I had some. I had. I wrote down some things for you. Just some. 
things that I just wanted to jot down and get your quick. You can say pass. Okay. Okay. I'm just gonna give you a name or right. a thing, and then you could say what you think about it, or you could say just pass. I okay. Don't, I don't have nothing to say about that. Okay. Got it. So first thing is is Donald Trump. I like where you go. I was thinking you were gonna actually do that. Yeah, I was gonna. I'm starting right there, man. Um, I probably feel the same way a lot of people feel. Um, I thought his policies and the things that he was doing, the governing as the president, were very good. Okay. What he left us with was a huge divide, mm. and he's because he's a divisive person, right? That's just who he is by his nature. Mm. Um, I've met individuals who've tried to do business deals with him when he, in New York and had conversations with them and they're like he's horrible. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, because Donald Trump is about Donald Trump and so he's that's who he is. He doesn't hide that. No, doesn't hide that. And I, I think I think a lot of people appreciate that of him that you kind of you kind of know what you're going to get mm-hmm. uh, because he doesn't hide any of it. And the guy he's very upfront. Um he'll say whatever is on his mind, he's unfiltered. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people like I I think he's more like us, uh, us in this general context of just normal people, than than maybe most presidents we've ever had. Because he didn't he didn't come up in that system. He was a outsider coming in, um, and I it it had to be extremely difficult for for those people who had been in those positions and had, had maybe had been serving with him and um, and some of the stuff he would say would just throw them off and throw things for a loop and be like, man, you're doing so much good. Doing so much good. Don't oh oh, oh yeah. why'd you say that? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean that's I mean I'm, I'm kind of I'm I'm in it and I'm out of it. Um I would take a Trump over a Biden though. Yeah. yeah. Any day. I yeah. any day. And I you talk about I I mean I follow Biden on Twitter and I just I'm like, why do I even bother? Be, well, because you're just waiting for the car wreck. Yeah. What is he gonna say today that's just absurd? Why are we? Why would you? Why are we going down that road? Why is that your focus? Why? Yeah. I, again, it also could be him. The whole Biden thing could be him and or his handlers because I don't even see how he would even do Twitter. It just seems how like, exactly. Nothing. Not, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely 100 right. Everything yeah. that's being said on there is not him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just I don't know. That's crazy. Hey, but thank you for that. Thank you for commenting on that. I thought you were yeah. gonna pass. No, <laughs> but, no. Uh, DeSantis. You know, I, I, my limited knowledge of, of him is very positive. Um, I think he's done a really good job in Florida. Mm-hmm. I think he's a strong leader. I think family is a core component of, of his leadership style. Um, I think he's done a lot of good. And I, I, during, during the COVID year, which was a horrible year for everybody, um, I think he tried to be the most reasonable in, in his role as governor in saying, Look, there's things we know and things we don't know, but I know that the local economy and the businesses are really important. Schools are important, and I'm going to do everything I can to keep those things going to the best of our ability. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen in our state. Our state said, eh, "Sorry, everybody's going to go home, and we're we're going to sh- shut the kids out of school, and we're going to shut down all the mom and pop businesses, but we're going to let Walmart, Home Depot, Target, all those folks, we're going to let them stay open." Hmm. We're going to put people in bread lines outside of grocery stores. We're going to stop people from going outside to recreate. I mean, the, these things were absurd, and I think DeSantis handled that moment better than than most. Absolutely, that's 
That's yeah. a good one there. Hey, this coffee's getting to me. Just a quick intermission. Yeah, all right. that's fine. That's all I got to do is yep. press pause here. And I, yeah, I'm a big-time coffee snob, man. I, I love coffee. I am too. Uh, so I don't know what you drink, but I have I do just regular coffee with a double shot of espresso, honey, a little bit of honey, and half and half, and that's good. That sounds great. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's like a honey bear. Yeah, no. There's a guy at my work that did that honey bear. He had me take a sip of his. It's too, too sweet. That was too sweet. It's too sweet. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. like the sweet. Yeah. So we have a Breville machine. Oh yeah, I heard that. that my, That's nice. That my wife's uh, ex mother in law, because her dad passed away, she gave us this Breville machine. Yeah. Talk about snob. That's cool. Talk about snob. Yeah. I mean, every he morning. just bought one too. He's all happy. He just bought a, 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 I don't know, might have been one of those too. He said it was really super Se- expensive. $700 machine. That, that's, I think that's, that's how much my, he spent. That's my favorite thing in the house. Yeah, he loves it too. He's a big coffee guy too. Yeah. Um, so back on this, this Trump DeSantis, I want to make a comment. Okay. Um, Are we on again? Yeah, we're on. Okay. I, I, I hit I hit when we were talking about coffee because um, I like coffee. I do too. Um, so. I like I like where you're going with all that. I think it's great. And not that my opinion means a damn thing. Who cares? But my thought really quick, just because you might get to that to that role at one day you could be governor, is that what bothers me I love DeSantis. I, I love I you like, were in Florida, so you, yeah. Well you there I wasn't there when he was doing what okay. he was doing. I was wishing I was there okay. when he was doing that. But yeah. what bothers me a little bit about DeSantis now is that it seems that and again, this is hope, hopefully going to happen to you, you know, when you, you know, you end up getting to that level is that he has a choice and maybe his choice isn't as, uh, you know, Donald Trump's choice because of the money that he has as a businessman and he can fund a lot of his own stuff. But when you get to a certain level and you really want to win and you, 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 it seems like you have to start taking people's money, right? I mean, right. am I wrong in that? I don't I. And it seems like a lot of money, man. Exactly. And it seems like DeSantis has changed some of his tune secondary to that as of late when he when he decided to run uh, for president. And it's like, hey, wait a minute. You you know, I thought your view was a little bit different, but it looks like he's changing his views secondary to that. And and I get it because I've seen that in everybody's political career. I don't know how you're going to handle that, you know, but. I'll tell you from our point of view, as, and and you've been there, you know, you've been somebody in the masses. We see that. We see it clearly. It's not like it's a subtle thing either. It's like, okay, I've been following this guy or girl, and then all of a sudden, wait a second, why are they making that decision? Well, you know why. You know why they're making that decision. And you're just going to see that play out later in a different way, making another big decision that you don't like because they they're beholden to whatever donor that was. I just, I and I'm just making that comment. I'm not saying sure. that, that you have a remedy for that, but I'm just throwing that out there because I like the Santas too. And you know, and I, I could make my own comments on on the rest of that, but I really I wanted to know yours. So no, that's a very good point. And that you, yeah. you become their yeah. I mean, they've bought and sold you. Yeah, you know. And that's and, something Trump has been able to. He's yeah. a businessman, so you know that he's going to want to make money, and I get it. You know, he's going to see opportunities out there while pre, while he's president right. for him and his kids to make money. That's just the human nature of things. You don't maybe you don't want to see that or don't like seeing that kind of stuff. But it, I feel like if any any of us were was in that position, we would be like, oh man, that'd be nice. Once I retire, when I'm not president, I could have this or that or the other thing or have influence here. It's just a human nature type of thing, something that probably a lot of us can't understand where we are right. either. So so there's that. Uh, the next person, RFK. 
Jr. Man, I've got a question. Yeah. Because he's just kind of come on the scene, for me, anyway. Uh Uh-huh. Really just probably in the last six months. Yeah. Maybe, right? Totally. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, that's Bobby Kennedy's kid. Yes. Where where have you been? Yeah. What's going on with his voice? So he has this, uh, I've, I've heard him talk about it. I, I I've heard anyway. This is he, his voice got screwed up somehow, secondary to a vaccine that he took. Actually, really, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's that what the, part of his why his mission. I mean, I don't know why he doesn't mention that more often. I think it's because of his whole vaccination thing. I listened to him on Rogan, is, and I just kept waiting to hear what it was. You know, is he going to tell? Is he going to say what it is that's called? It? Maybe he did. Yeah. And I missed. It. I don't know. But yeah, I wish I was. I wish I knew exactly what that was yeah. called. I've heard him say, talk about it before, but. Believe it or not, his voice clears up the more he talks. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a problem with his actual vocal cords. It's a neurological thing, actually. Okay. So as he, as he warms up more, his voice gets better. It never gets great, obviously, but it gets better. So uh, I, you- I, I think uh, I've appreciated some of the common sense components of what he's saying and recognizing you know, where maybe he can play a part in bringing some, bringing some people back together, man. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, again, very limited on on him. He just kind of showed up in my life recently. Yeah. I've been yeah. intrigued by it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah, I like Jordan Peterson. Okay. I do. I like him a lot, actually. Why? Uh, I like his 12, his 12 rules for life. Mm-hmm. I really like those. Uh, I've shared those with my kids. And uh, again, I think he's somebody who just speaks truth. And it's shameful to me in an era where people are trying to censor everything that this guy's, this guy's, he's just talking truth, man. Yeah. And I think he's seeing it for what it is, kind of what you're saying. Like, why are these making these decisions? Why are we doing this? What, why are, and Jordan's, that's Jordan's, you know, deal too. Mm-hmm. And man, he's, they have just beat the crap out of him. If that's there. your wife, you can get it. I can press pause. You want to grab uh, it? He's a handsome fella, but he's not my wife. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Must be your son. <laughs> that's my. One of my oldest friends. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, my son uh, did text me though. Um oh, okay. Um, so yeah, I like Jordan. I've and I follow him and um anytime he's on a podcast, I like to listen. I thought him and Rogan's podcast was fantastic. Yeah, he does the, he's done him a few times actually. Yeah. yeah. And I I just enjoy him. I think it's refreshing. It's strange to think that somebody who's probably speaking just to the a core component of most I think most people probably feel deep down inside a lot of the things that he says. Mm. Yeah. Um and so I, yeah, I appreciate it. I love that you know him and that you you uh, you you like him. I I went to see him in in Honolulu. Did you? Yeah, when I was on, I lived in Hilo and I had to fly to another island to see him speak. And uh, I, uh, do you know who Joe Coy is, the comedian? Um. So Joe Coy, well, he's a big time comedian, especially in Hawaii, yeah. but he's international. He had a big uh, auditorium next door. It was packed, sold out. And then in this little auditorium was Jordan Peterson. It was really interesting dynamic that night to see the amount of people that were over there and the little people. Could that you were hear them here. laughing and stuff over there? Uh, you couldn't hear it, but uh-huh. you the commotion before and after was obvious. Right. But you wouldn't see, like when you go to a big concert like that, you wouldn't see Joe Coy walk up and pass everybody through. But here comes Jordan Peterson in his suit walking right by everybody, just right, hey, guys, and just walks right <laughs> in like he's a professor. <laughs> yeah, that's really exactly right. Yeah, it was real uh, neat. But, um, okay, uh, moving on. Um, you, we already talked about social media. I was going to go down the social media, um, like Twitter and that kind of thing. But I guess I'll just say 
Um, do you feel that social media is a, a free a, a speech platform that we would consider it part of our constitutional right for free speech? Do we? Do you feel that per, uh, someone like whether it's Jordan Peterson, um, whether it's somebody who is a racist, whether it's somebody who's um, just saying things that uh, people don't want to hear, do you feel like everybody, no matter who they are, should be able to speak on social media? I think the social media companies, um, because there's a lot of them now, mm-hmm. you know, starting out with MySpace. The big ones. Let's yeah. talk. Yeah. Um, I think they just need to be upfront with folks. If you're going to, if you're going to be on our platform, mm-hmm. the, we're going to censor you in this way, or we're going to share your information in this way. And I, I your, most people don't pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're owned, I mean, they're owned by a company. That company, I think, has some rules of engagement that they can implement. Mm-hmm. Do I think they should? Well, I think if there's a if there is a platform, and I I love Elon Musk and what he's done with Twitter, and he's opened that up to say we we don't want to censor it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you don't like what that guy says, then don't follow him. Yeah, it's really not hard to do. By the way, I just started getting on Twitter. Right, really, when Elon bought it, I decided to get on Twitter. Me too, because Twitter's not big here in our in our small community. It's yeah, but I got on there and I thought, and you can you can totally manage yourself on there and not have to listen to anybody you don't want to listen to. The right. same, you can do the same thing on Facebook. So, I think what they've discovered and what happened during COVID, um, is should be illegal and somebody should be prosecuted for it. Mm. I mean, at the at the top level of government. They were censoring other people's views, and it's all turned out to be they should never have done it. Mm-hmm. They should never have done it. Yeah. Right? So I think it's bad. So I, I I think if you're looking at the context of the freedom of speech, yeah, I don't I don't think they should be censored. Anybody anybody should be able to get on there and say it's up to you to follow them as long as there's a warning or and yeah, or. I mean, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't disagree with that yeah. one one iota. I told somebody this the other day too. I don't care if you're racist. I really don't. Like you if if you really feel that way in your heart, it's a conviction for you to like I can't deal with these certain types of people. They really whether it's they get me upset or I grew up this way right. or however in a household that they I was taught this about these people. You know, shame on you that you you're not doing your due diligence to go down there and talk to them and get your own view maybe. Right. And maybe once you have, you've decided that 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 view is correct. Whatever. But I feel like that person, that person's voice should be just as loud as anybody else's. And I agree with you in that you make the choice whether you want to turn them on to listen to them. But the only thing that you do by censoring them or, or uh, what do they call it, shadow banning or not allowing them to speak or just deleting right. their accounts as, as you know, CEO of whoever, is you're not killing their ideas. You're not killing, like, their thoughts or their emotions. All you're doing is putting them underground. And when something goes underground, you can't see it, right? So yep. you don't know what's happening at this point. It becomes more dangerous. Yeah, and I don't see why they don't see that. It's yeah. just the weirdest thing. But anyway, that's that on the... But I think if, if, if again, I would just remind people, these are owned by media companies. Yeah, they and say... They're, and they're there to make money, and they're there. And if, and, if, and if for the most people who are using their product that makes them the more money, then they're going to do what those people probably want. Yeah. Um, that's what made Twitter, when Elon bought it, it made so many people mad 
is because there was that group of people who were like, well, Twitter's doing exactly what I want. They're they're keeping those people that I disagree with away. Mm. And then Elon's like, this is ridiculous. This I have. I really feel like he's doing a a, a public service. He really is. Um, he's and saw the noble meaning behind. I'm going to take this over and I'm going to open it up yeah. like it should be because I think Twitter should be. And he's got this great vision for you know what he wants to see it turn into. But yeah. The ninety nine point nine of the things that he, I've seen him do are, are are I agree with. Yeah, you know, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, good stuff there. He he was somebody that I was going to ask you about, but it, that goes without saying. There, how about the war in Ukraine? I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what we're doing. I mean, I I can underst- I can understand. There's, I mean, I've got a close friend who flies a Ukraine flag, and I'm like, <laughs> man, I mean, is this is this who we want to be forever? This country that just goes out there across the world and throws money and bombs and resources for these other groups to fight battles and fight wars, like I, I, I think it's absurd. I'm, I'm over it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how most people feel, but I've, I, I got to think there's a lot of people who feel that same way. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we just approved cluster bombs. They're yeah. internationally banned, and we just said it's okay. Yeah. Why would we do that? Yeah. That's a, a that's absurd. I saw that too. Is weirdest thing. And weirdest I, you're gonna turn Ukraine into a NATO country. Oh my gosh, these things are just. I don't know. They just tie us into regions that we don't really need to be in for, for a long time. And then I can't remember the last one that actually turned out favorable. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Persian Gulf War when we went in there and just stomped on Saddam and then got out. But then we never did get out. We stayed there forever. You know, it's funny about that. So when the we when the Persian Gulf War started, I had an art teacher who was a uh, Vietnam vet. So this is like 90, 1991. And he looked at all of us boys and he goes, I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to be fighting that war for decades. When you guys are adults, we will still be in the Middle East and you will still be dealing with what we're about to do right now. Wow, crazy. And he was right. He knew, yeah. He was totally right. Interesting. Because yeah. he'd been to Vietnam. Yeah, he's seen it. Right? He's seen it. Yeah. Is this echoey at all to you? Uh, Am I? No, I think you're okay. Maybe. I don't know. All right. So you sound good to me. Okay. We'll see in post-production how, how it sounds. Uh, big Pharma. Why do we allow pharmas- Why do I know why. I hate when I always start something with why. I can't, I can't believe that we allow them to advertise on TV the way that they do. I think it's, it's awful. It's an awful practice. I know they want their money. Big Pharma has a ton of money. And so that's why they let them advertise. Would you pull them off? I, I, I mean, is that a rule that we we want to set? I mean, again, are we who said? I don't know. Probably. I mean, mm-hmm. I I'm, I get tired of attorney commercials on New Mexico stations too, which I <laughs> I so I stopped watching New Mexico TV because every commercial is an attorney. Yeah. You know, I mean, it just I I think their influence again is too big. I can't understand why we're not talking about and I'm and I'm somebody who's I've been in much better shape in my life before exercise eating good sleep water I mean these are the four it's like the four most important things you sunshine. can do to take care and yeah. sunshine yeah. yeah you're right sunshine yeah these are the five best medicines that you can have and they don't talk about that man yeah and the absurdity of the drugs that they're pushing on television you know, my wife's a nurse, and she's like, you know, it's point zero 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 something percent of people who actually have that thing that they just advertised on TV. Mm. And how do you watch a commercial where in the commercial they're like, side effects include, 
everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nausea, sleeplessness, fatigue, death, you know, yeah. everything. Yeah. What? It's almost a comical thing to listen to those actually now. <laughs> it yeah. is. Um, but you want to keep your kids away from it. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. That's cool that your wife's a nurse. I remember you were telling me that. That's awesome. You said she works in L&D. Yes, for 20, 23 years now. Right on. That's a good, that's, I like that specialty. She loves it. Um, she works at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Um, COVID 2.0. COVID 2.0. Yeah. If, let's say COVID comes back. Oh, man. What happens? What do we do? How do we handle it? I hope way differently than the way we handled it. Mm-hmm. COVID 1.0. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do. I hope we don't. Because we, we have to recognize where we failed. My opinion is there are those who are most at risk of succumbing to particular, and in our situation, the upper respiratory disease or illness, which, by the way, here in New Mexico, we have a Native population, Native American population, who are susceptible to upper respiratory infections. So it, it really hit hard here. Mm. There are populations of people that should absolutely take the precautions necessary to protect themselves. And whether that's masking, staying at home, limiting you know their exposure to other people, whatever the case may be, then we need to protect those populations. Mm. But I, I have, I, I had, I got COVID um, May of 20 and it beat me up really bad. Um, eight days with fever. And then I finally went to the doctor um, and then I got it again in November. Everybody in my family got it in November, mm-hmm. right at Thanksgiving. In order for my wife to go to work, she had to get vaccinated. In order to travel, we had to be vaccinated. In order for my daughter to go to college, she had to be vaccinated. So I made the decision to get vaccinated. I wish I wouldn't have made that decision because I, I believe that my immune system would do what it's supposed to do. Mm. And it would provide that protection. And I just don't understand where or why the idea came out that immunity, your natural immunity, wasn't going to work in this situation. Mm. Why? Who is responsible for that? Big Pharma. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, there's such a connection there. Who's going to make the money by telling people, no, dude, I'm telling you right now, you got to get vaccinated. You're going to, you could die. I was listening, who was I listening to last night? Maybe it was Tucker one of Tucker's shows on Twitter mm-hmm. and they were replaying the doctor that he had, um, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. It was on, maybe it was on Russell Brand's show. I don't know. I like Russell Brand too. I was, that guy. I was going to ask you about Tucker next. I didn't, I didn't even think to Russell Brand, but I yeah. love him, man. He's great. And I'm, yeah, we'll get into that. But yeah, the, the doctor talking about the fact that if you're not vaccinated, this is the winner you're, you're going to die, you know, and literally this doom and gloom guy. And none of that ended up being really true. Did people die? Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and our our friends here on the Navajo Nation lost a lot of family. Yeah, uh, but again, those populations that needed to take precautions, there are populations that didn't, and natural immunity was a good answer. And they lied to us. Mm-hmm. I feel that way anyway. Yeah, that was my the part B to that question. COVID two point was vaccinations, and if COVID was to return, and they they you know, you had a say in vaccinations and whether they should be mandated. No. Okay. No way. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. No way. Next one. Uh, Military-industrial complex. Yeah, it's real. It's real. Yep. 
and trail. Who was Eisen, it? Eisenhower, Eisenhower was right, hundred percent right, and we yeah. have played exactly into that. I mean, he was a prophet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. there we go. BLM, Bureau of Land Management. <laughs> right. That's enough said. <laughs> the, 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 they're the least funded public land uh, entity in the United States government, and I wish they were funded better so we could get more uh, awesome stuff outside here. All right, that was kind of like a pass. All right, we'll do that. Um, Tra- well, no, we can talk about the other BLM. No, I mean that's fine. I the only reason why I asked you that is because I'm you know I'm dark skinned here. I'm, my my um, background is my dad's from India, uh, Indian from India, not Native American. hundred yeah. percent full blooded. Uh, he lives in England now. I, I I actually don't even talk to him. He was he was an estranged gotcha. type of situation. Um, and then my Mom is from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. So she's eight different ethnicities, including Scottish. So I'm part white too, okay? Right. Spanish. I got I got a lot of stuff in me. Yeah. And to me, growing up, you know, we grew up in an area where uh there was there was racism. I I've seen it because of my skin color. I've seen it bad and I've seen it like not so bad and I've seen it like um kind of nonchalant, like you know. Um but I've also seen in my life it get like almost a hundred percent better. It was getting to me, it was getting so much better. And then all of a sudden there was this weird BLM overcorrection, in my opinion, that really not only pissed off a lot of people that weren't be uh, black, but I think it pissed off a lot of people that were different shades of of colors and pissed off a lot of people in that that were black as well in that we didn't ask you to do this we didn't ask for this things were going just fine sometimes it takes time for real change to happen but when you force and i asked you the question but i'm t- i'm i'm yeah, answering yeah. No, it. no this is great but the, the reason why I, you've got way better context on it than i do right and that's why i asked about it yeah. I, and you know so i'll just i'll give it i'll just give it to you Okay. Yeah, sorry about that. I just I, th- no, I, that's what the you were just saying right there that things were getting better, and then all of a sudden something happened. So, I mean, I grew up in Denver and very multicultural area. I grew up with friends whose parents didn't speak English. I grew up with friends whose families were from from Asia. I was in judo for six years, so I a lot of Asian friends, mm-hmm. um, a lot of black friends. I mean, um, it was a pretty pretty diverse area, mm-hmm. um, and and I. When when Ice Cube came out, NWA came out, and then Dr. Dre and Snoop and Boys in the Hood, dude, we I thought, man, we get it. We're we're a part of this group. Like I felt more connected. Those just some of the, just the music and the movies yeah. and oh yeah, all that stuff. Like I was like, man, yeah. And I felt like we were coming. I mean, dude, my favorite TV show was The Cosby Show. Yeah. You know, we watched Different Strokes. We watched. All these things, and it looked like this was America. This is what America is. We are all people from different colors, but we are Americans, and we need to learn to love one another and appreciate the good and the bad and so forth and so on. And then I don't know what happened because yeah. it did. It took a really strange turn, and I believe that the, the, the march of Martin Luther King has been denigrated so much. The work that they did has absolutely been beat up. And I, I, it makes me sad, man. Yeah, I, I'm all about the message of, of. I don't, it's not about the color of somebody's skin. It's about the quality of their character. Mm. I don't judge anybody by the color of their skin. Mm. 
Well, I try not to, right? I mean, I think generally speaking, we all, to some degree, and I, I find it, for me, interesting. If you look at the happiness index, we talk about this on our radio show, the, ha- the World Happiness Index. The happiest countries in the world year over year are Scandinavian countries. Why? Because people are happy when they're surrounded by people who look like them, share their values, and, and have a, a similar you know, work ethic and you know, all those kind of things. Like You feel more comfortable when you're surrounded by people who look like you, talk like you, act like you, and uphold the same values as you. Interesting. That's a very homogeneous area of the world up there, mm. right? Yeah. And so that, I think that speaks to a lot of people. We're dealing here in America with the most amazing human experiment of all time. We are bringing people from all over the world together. Yeah. And that's hard, right? That's, that's difficult. I mean, there's, that's why there is all this tribalism in Europe. Just think about Europe. Europe is, you could put Europe in the United States. And instead of having states that are, you know, part of a union, they're all individual states with their own languages and their own histories. And, and they're, you know, it's different. Here we're this giant country, and we have all these folks from all over the world. And we're trying, and we need to find a way to get along. And it doesn't always work. Yeah. But I do think we were on the right path, and things, things started make people started making statements that I think um, – I think really hurt us. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it started from the top down in many ways because I, I really think that culturally speaking, we were on the right path. And I think we'll get back there. I do too. I yeah. do too. I'm, I'm positive about it. I am too. And I love the fact that we are in. We we still are in America. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It might not be the America that we we once knew, but we're still here. And I, I think he even answered a survey the other day. It was like your, you know, what's your ethnicity? And it was like I checked white, and then I checked other, and I put American. Yeah. I get tired of that. Like, I'm an American. Yeah, yeah. There's hope there. Uh, the next one, uh, transgenderism. Man, it's... And specifically, not, not just that. I mean, you could comment on that, but transgenderism and, and how it's uh, affecting, you know, whether, however you want to look at it in, in our schools and our kids. <clears throat> yeah, I don't like it. I'll just be very honest with you. I, I don't like where we've gone um, and the way that we have now at, we have attached children to something that I think, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, there was the movie Tootsie and I think it was The Birdcage and, you know, some other movies, Bird right? Birdcage was hilarious. Yeah, and, and here's, here's adults dressing up like women, men dressing up like women. Mm-hmm. And it was, and and then I think people were okay with that. If somebody wanted to, you know, if a man wanted to wear a dress and wear a wig, and okay, fine. But then they they took it to another level that was completely unnecessary. Yeah. And I think that's where we're at now. The absurdity of the messaging when you watch a rally and it says we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your kids. Man, I'm sorry. Yeah. I everything, anything good that you may have been trying to do, you just, it, and I maybe that's not what they all feel like. Yeah. Drag shows that invite kids in. Man, why are you doing that? Yeah. Why are we promoting that? Why are they at the White House doing what they're doing at the White House? The White House. What are, what are we doing? That, that's not the message that we need to be sending to our children. And I, I come back to what I said earlier about lazy parenting. Man, I made it. We always. My kids grew up in a household where we, we talked about what a man and a woman is. Mm. And the different roles that we share in society. And my wife... 
My wife works for my wife is the hardest working woman I've ever met in my life. Mm. She's a tireless worker. She, I, I'm so thankful. The, I said but maybe the best decision was moving to Farmington and being raised in a Christian household. That's probably number one. My <laughs> wife is an easy number one A. Um, and so, and we made it, it was, this is who we are. We're, we're Christians. These are the roles of men and women, but we, sh- we share everything. Yeah. We both work. We share the household duties. I'm the cook. I'm the chef. She doesn't like to cook, right? So she does the cleaning because mm-hmm. I don't like, I don't, I'm clean, but I'm, you know. <laughs> so I think that we're just, we're, we're promoting something that's confusing our youth. I think mm-hmm. as adults, if you wanted to go do that as an adult and it was your adult thing to do, great. It doesn't need to be put all over the TV. It doesn't need to be put everywhere in everybody's face. Mm-hmm. Um, and if individuals are out there and they're confused about what their body's doing and who they are, man, there's there's a whole lot of other resources out there that you can go to than than buying into that message. I think it's not. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's helping us. I think in, more importantly, on on an even grander scale, if we want to continue to be <laughs> a society that grows. We have to promote family. We have to promote the fact that you're born a boy, you're born a girl, and you're, we're going to raise fa- we're going to raise kids. We're we're going to end up at a point where people aren't having babies anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then yeah. to to your concern that you brought up earlier, are we going in the right direction? I think people people are so concerned about that that we're not they're not having kids mm-hmm. because they're like, it's not, is it worth it? Yeah. Do you want your kid in a world like this? Is, right. Is what I think. Sometimes. Why would I want to sentence them to something like that? My I have a father-in-law. Says, so "Man, I'm glad I'm not you." Yeah, I'm glad I'm. I'm glad I'm going out and not coming in. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's and it's a like, tough one. and I think my, I think things will get better. I'm an optimist on that. But if I look at the trajectory of the United States, I think I'm very fortunate to have been uh, raised in the '80s and '90s. Yeah, I think that was a precipice of taught some good values then. Yeah, right? and just and freedom from this. My, yeah. my son said it the other day. He's like, "I wish I had grown up with you." <laughs> and I was like, really? You should say you are. And I'm like, yeah, okay, seriously, you are, though. That's very true. Yeah. And I was like, why? And I, I think we romanticize our upbringing. If you had a good upbringing, I mean, obviously, you know, there's people who had some pretty rough upbringings. But even mm-hmm. in, even my roughest year of my youth um, was still extraordinary, and I learned so much from it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, I just wish I – so I didn't have this thing. Yeah. And I was like, well, then just put it down. Yeah, that's awesome. Um Man, you say some good stuff. The, I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is if there was somebody, since you're running for re-election, if there was somebody who, who didn't want to vote for you for whatever reason, and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't like some of the stuff he's done. He didn't do this, or I wanted him to do this, or I just don't like his tenure, some of the stuff he's done. You sure. just, there's going to be people out there, right? They, oh, they are. They yeah. are. They've what already would, commented. What would you say to those people? Um. Honestly, my my question would be, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never met you before, and so you know, please, you know, I, tell me why you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be that's that's the start of the conversation. Yes. I need to understand why you feel that way. And okay, well, you, I get it. Are you approachable like that? Like oh, if yeah. there was somebody listening that said, man, I can't stand that guy, whatever, whatever. Sure. Or, or man, I, I'm on the fence. I think I would, but I'm not sure because he did this or I'm not, you know, he's making these decisions. You're, you're like, is it, I don't know how the policy is, open door policy or do they have to call your secretary or how does it work? Man, I've got, 
I've got email. I've got Facebook Messenger. I've got, um, which people use all the time, by the way. Facebook, I told you about the story this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's Facebook um, Messenger. I'm, I'm, as long as you are respectful, I will respond to you. Oh, fantastic. If you give me a phone number in a respectful way, I will call you. Wow. If you, if you come on and you yell at me and act foolish, then, I won't, then I'm not going to give you the time of day. Yeah. I just, it's disrespectful to me, especially if you don't know somebody, mm. to just come and yell. And there's plenty of people who, who want to do that. Um, Would you give those people second chances if somebody did yell at you and said, you know, I'm sorry, like I was upset that you did this? And I, Of course. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm a big, big believer of that. Yeah. Um, and I know people get emotional. Mm. And, and it's when you're emotional, you lose sense of maybe that, that common courtesy, that etiquette that you need to be, you know, you, re, you really need to have. Um, but yeah, no, you call City Hall. I, I call every, I've got my phone list over there. If you call City Hall and leave me a message again and you're calling to say, hey, I would like to talk to you about something, I will call you, I will call you back. That's awesome. I think, I think it's critical that we maintain that level of connectivity. That's awesome. And then one thing I want to ask you like way back in, in our conversation was, um, you know, you're running again and the challenges that you see and your your goals, if you were elected again, the, your main goals to, to correct and or the challenges that you see that you have your eye on, because I'm running again, and once I get, you know, get back in office again, I need to fix this, I need to fix that. Is there anything that you see, like, right out? Um, you know, here's the great thing. Part of the story that is a component of who and what my service has been is has been built around the fact that in 2013 this community was very scared and it was very doom and gloom because oil and gas jobs were leaving they weren't sure what was going to happen with the power plant and they wanted economic diversification but nobody had been able to do anything and when we came in council and really as mayor we committed ourselves i shouldn't say that it even started it was a counselor we began a rebranding process Mm. that brought in this idea that we have all these natural assets. Why aren't we promoting them? There's a sustainable part of the economy that has not been tapped into. Let's go. That messaging has resonated tremendously now. Um, and, and I think it's one of the attractive components that people, when they come here, there's a wow factor. Downtown's been revitalized. It's been remodeled. People who go down there are like, I can't believe this is in Farmington, New Mexico. This is beautiful. Mm. Civic Center. Um, same thing, remodel the Civic Center. Bistai Bay Water Park, all that's happened since I've been an elected official. Uh, opening up the lake for recreation, that, that happened since I've been an elected official. Uh, we've built new uh, river trail, a lot more river trail, focusing on those assets that matter to quality of life. Um, and now, last year, we had, the, we had a 20% increase in median home prices. We were the number one city in the United States. Now, there's good and bad in that. But that means demand is there. People are finding us. They're moving here. They're buying up our properties. Yeah. And that's positive. Yeah. Um, and we still have our median home prices like $261,000, which is a third of what Southern Colorado's is in Durango. Yeah. So there's a lot of appeal to that. Um, all those things have happened within the last nine years. And so, yeah, the next steps, we've got to get some of these other things that, we've, that are part of that big view of creating a community that you can be proud to live in, that you want to be a part of, and that you want to invite your friends to, that's that's where we're at. Mm. And because, and there's a lot of other economic development initiatives 
outside of the city proper that we're also a part of, um, that we, we need jobs. That's the number one thing right now. We got to have jobs. And it's been very difficult because you lose those service sector jobs. It's hard to get doctors here. I mean, you're here, which I think is incredible. And you're a dynamic individual that would add value to this community in the long long run. And I would obviously encourage you to stay. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, nice of you. But understand that, you know, we have a life uh, outside of this area too. <laughs> Just, so, just surfing. I like surfing. That's what we – and I, we want this to be attractive to all professionals and all workers. And I think that's what we're – we've really worked hard to do, and we're doing a really good job at it. Awesome. So a lot of good people involved for sure. Right on, man. Just get a wave pool, though, because I like surfing. So that idea is – I like that idea a lot, actually, and I need to look into that more. I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm telling you. Look into t- – to uh, What city? Uh, it's in Texas. Uh, Waco. Waco. WACO Texas. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, the be- I think it's the best wave pool in the United States, and people travel all over the world to come there. So it could be, and it's a resort. It turns they turned it into like a resort. You can stay there, you can surf there. I mean, it's a water park as well for kids. But if you didn't want to surf, there's other things to do. But man, it's a uh, it's an idea for you right here, right here in the desert. But mayor. Thank you so much for your time today. I I really appreciate you doing this. um, And uh, I wish you the best of luck in your reelection. Thank you. And I'll be voting for you. Wow. Are you registered? Yes. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks again. Yep. All right.